So uh, we're in Galatians again tonight. We've been working through the book of Galatians over the last wee while, and it's such a great book theologically. It's quite heavy, but it's good. It's good, solid, uh, solid food for us. And Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians, you know, he talks a lot about freedom and grace. And so again, that's tonight what we're going to look at. And you know, I don't know about you, but I need to hear something uh, more than once often before the penny drops. You know, so uh, so that's kind of what Paul is doing when he's right into the Galatians he says the same thing over and over but in different ways and so tonight we're going to uncover that a little bit further so we're in chapter four um, if you need a bible tonight why don't you stick your hand up and uh, we're very happy to give you one Libby can maybe just bring them round if that's right and if you don't have one at home you are very very welcome to keep this one as a gift from us as well uh, so it's Galatians it's chapter four and we're reading from verse 21 to 31. It will come up on the screen as well. So you might have it on paper, or you might have it on an iPad or a phone if you're fancy, or you might just want to read it from the screen. There's multiple options. Okay. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad barren woman, you who never bore a child, break forth and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. And it's the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Amen. That is God's word for us tonight. Okay, now I've entitled our talk today, The Songs of Freedom. Not, it's not some kind of Bob Marley song, don't worry. But you'll realize as we go through why I have called it The Songs of Freedom, because uh, a few song titles will crop up. So, song number one. Let it go, let it go. Everyone love that Disney song? Yeah, I don't. I've got to be honest, I don't like it. Anyway, song number one, let it go. That's, that's my point, let it go. So um, I don't know about you, but I am somebody, and this is maybe a bit geeky to admit, but I love rules. Anyone else love rules? Yeah, I like rules. Uh, you know, when I was at school and my teacher said, 
I had a keen sense of justice. I thought that was a good thing, you know, to be said about me. I had a keen sense of justice. But what I now know what that really means is Hazel was moaning all the time that everything wasn't fair and that people were being treated differently. But anyway, I like to think I've got a keen sense of justice, and that's why I like rules. Uh, and so when it comes to board games, I like rules. My favorite board game, or one of my favorites, is a game called Jungle Speed. Who knows Jungle Speed? Okay, so Jungle Speed is a card game. It's a bit like Snap. You're trying to make a match, but there's a totem pole in the middle that you're all grabbing after, and there's lots of grabbing and scratching each other's hands by accident, and it can get a bit frantic. But anyway, one of the rules in Jungle Speed is this. If you make a mistake, there is a penalty, and that penalty is you have to take everybody else's cards, and you don't want that because you're trying to lose all your cards. So if you make any mistake, you know, you accidentally grab the totem when you shouldn't have, or you, know, you, you thought it was your go and you went, but it wasn't. If you make a mistake, the penalty is to collect everybody's cards. And me, little miss, I love rules. If I'm playing jungle speed with you, I don't care if it's your first time and you don't know what you're doing. If you make a mistake, a rule is a rule, and you are getting everyone's cards. There's no compassion from me. The rule is you make a mistake, you collect the cards, and I don't care that you don't really know how to play. I'm sorry, that is the rule. You're going to get everyone's cards. So I like rules, and sometimes that makes me a bit harsh, but just don't play jungle speed with me if that's, if that's a problem for you. Rules are good in general. Rules are there to protect us. You know, don't drive 100 miles an hour. It's not good for you. It's not safe, you know, or you know, you're not allowed to work over a certain amount of hours every week because it's just not good for you. You know, and rules give us a sense of control. You know, I know what's what when I know what the rules are. I know what's expected of me. I know what's expected of you. You know, everything's kind of neat and tidy. I know what's allowed and what's not allowed. So there's a sense of control and safety with having rules. But I do think that rules also come with some problems. So one of the things about rules is I think it can develop in us a sense of laziness. You know, I don't need to take any responsibility for making a tough decision because someone else has already decided for me what is right or wrong. I don't have to worry about that. The rule's already been made. It's a bit of laziness in that. Or perhaps rules can create in us pride because we've got something to measure up against now. This is what's right, this is what's wrong, and I'm doing pretty well by these standards. I'm doing pretty well, and actually, you're not. So therefore, you know, I feel a bit puffed up and proud because I know I'm doing well according to the rules. Perhaps some of us like rules because actually we're not good with freedom. We're not good with having this open wide open space with freedom we find it a bit daunting you know well you give me the freedom and then what if what if I make a bad decision what if I do something wrong with that you know it's a bit scary I need some navigation for me I think of it like the all you can eat buffet I'm not good with that because I don't know where to stop I'll just keep going and have another plate and another plate until I feel sick and that is not a good thing actually I'm better with the boundaries hey so just have one plate that's all you need there we go we'll bring it to your table for you don't give me the all-you-can-eat buffet it is not good in our passage today Paul addresses people as people who desire to be under law that's what it says in verse 21 he says you who want to be under the law and then he goes on to say why have you even read it do you really understand what that means why would you want to be under the law 
Because when we live by rules all the time, when we live under law, do you know what? We exhaust ourselves. We exhaust ourselves trying to keep up with the rules, trying to keep up the standards, must keep doing this, must keep doing that. Don't let it slip. And it can feel a bit like just being on a constant treadmill. Must keep going, got to keep going. And it's exhausting. Whereas God, he gives us freedom. God gives us freedom. Rather than being on a treadmill, God gives us a wide open space. A wide open field. And yes, that field might have boundaries. It might have a fence around it somewhere at the very edges. But we have all this space, all this freedom in the middle to follow him, to serve him, to listen to his voice. You know, when we have rules, it doesn't, they don't stop the enjoyment of the game. You know, rules aren't about being a party pooper. Rules enable the game to be properly enjoyed as it was meant to. You know, if I sat you down and you'd never played Jungle Speed and I just said, well, off you go, make up your own rules, play, play how you like, it would be carnage. It would be awful. You cannot enjoy the game properly unless you understand what the rules are. The rules help us to enjoy the game in all its fullness. And that's a bit like what the law does. The law helps us understand sin. Romans 7, 7 says this, the law shows us our sin. I wouldn't have known what coveting was, Paul says, if the law hadn't said, do not covet. You know, so we need the law, we need the boundaries, we need the rules, but we don't need to be bound by them, and we don't need to think of them as a negative thing. And when Paul speaks about being under the law, people who want to be under the law, he's not talking about people that keep the law, He's not just talking about obeying the law. He's talking about people who rely on the law, that they think they need the law to be okay with God, that they rely on the law for their standing with God. Jesus said this, I have come that you would have life to the full. That's what he said, life to the full. And so if we live as Christians who are bound by the law and obsessed with rule-keeping, the oughts and the shoulds, you know, that is not living life to the full. That is not living life to the full. If we find ourselves, you know, stuck on that exhausting treadmill and never really going anywhere, but just tiring ourselves out, if we find ourselves in this massive wide open field, but just walking around the edges, clinging onto the fence and the boundaries, because it's all about the boundaries, we miss out on everything in between, all that space, all that freedom, all that God has for us. That's life to the full. You know, sometimes I think we can be guilty, and I, I most definitely am guilty of making my faith all about me. You know, I need to do this so that God will do this for me, and then I will be saved. You know, and all of that kind of thought pattern is, is not really belief in God. It's belief in me, <laughs> what I need to do, what I need to do to sort myself out with God making myself my own savior. And honestly, this is what the whole book of Galatians is about. This is what Paul has been banging on about all the way from the start to right where we are now. And I'm going to be honest with you, he's going to bang on about it for the next couple of chapters until the end. He wants us to realize it is not about what you do. Jesus just loves you. He loves you as you are. It's, what, but it's about what Jesus did, not we do. Jesus died for us so that we could be made right with God. 
There's nothing more that we can do. He's done it for us. He loves you. So what Paul is wanting to say to the Galatians and to us today, stop relying on the law. Stop depending on the law. You know, whether you are circumcised or not, whether you have kept these laws or not, you know, whether you have done this, that, or the other. Stop taking things into your own hands and thinking, I've got this. I can handle this. Me and God are okay because of what I have done. Let it go let it go. And so Paul hits us with this analogy, he takes us way back in time, back to Genesis, way back to the start of all of the Bible and all of the earth. Well, not the very first person because we know that was Adam, but anyway, he takes us back to Genesis to talk about Abraham. Now, Abraham was a guy who found favor in the Lord's eyes and the Lord promised him many things, amongst which he said, you will, Abraham, have a child, you will have an heir. And the time at which he said this to Abraham, Abraham was old and his wife was old and they didn't, you know, they didn't have any children at that stage. But God said, no, no, I promise you, Abraham, you are going to have an heir. It was such a ridiculous idea that Abraham's wife, Sarah, laughed at the suggestion. And 10 years went by after God made this promise and there was still no child for them. And so Abraham and Sarah between them decided to take matters into their own hands. Well, God says, I will have an heir, and it hasn't happened yet. So how can we make this happen? So between them, they agreed Abraham would sleep with Hagar, the servant, and she would bear him a son, and that would then be the heir. So that's what they did. He slept with Hagar. She had a son called Ishmael. Uh, Paul calls him the child born of the flesh, you know, child born in the kind of normal way. Fourteen years on, when Ishmael was 14 years old, Sarah miraculously became pregnant even in her old age and she bore a son Isaac and Paul says Isaac was the child of promise promised by God and so just from looking at that story what we can see Abraham took things into his own hands didn't he he didn't rely on God he relied on what he was capable of making happen you know well God said I was going to have an heir it's not happened. How can I make it happen? How can we make this happen in another way? And so he had to work, if you like, to gain his son. He had faith, but it wasn't in God. It was in himself and his own abilities. I want a son. Sarah can't do it, but Hagar can. She's young. She's fertile. So let's make this air thing happen. And then Paul paints this picture for us, okay? So on the one hand, he points at Hagar. He points at Ishmael, and they represent the law. They represent disobedience to God. They represent trusting in man and man's ability. And he throws in Mount Sinai into that whole analogy because that's the mountain where the law was first given to Moses. This all represents man and man's doing and man's work and man's striving. And yet on this hand... He points to the other son, or the other woman. He points to Sarah and their son, Isaac. And this is an illustration of God's grace and God's promise and his faithfulness and everything coming to fruition. He points to the heaven, to the Jerusalem above, which is heaven for us. And this is a picture of freedom. So when Abraham took matters into his own hands, what was the result it was actually a disaster. If you read on in the story, it was a disaster. Sarah ended up hating Hagar. 
She mistreated her. They fell out. There was sadness and division in their family. And that went on for generations to come. Even the descendants of both of those sons were fighting against one another for years and years to come. It was an absolute disaster, all because Abraham didn't rest in God's promise, in God's grace, but he relied on himself. I was thinking about the prodigal son story in relation to some of this. You know, the story of the prodigal son. There's a guy and he says, Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but can I have your inheritance now? I want it now. Takes the money, goes off, squanders it, has wild parties and whatnot, comes back penniless, broke, on his knees before his dad and says, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I've lost all your money. Will you take me back? I'll be your slave. I'll come and work for you. And you know what the father says to him? No way, you are not coming back as a slave. You're my son. I love you. Let's have a party. You're so welcome here. You're my son. You are not my slave. And as I thought about that picture, I think a lot of us feel a bit like that son crawling back sometimes, you know. We can imagine, we can imagine that God accepts us easily as a servant but we find it harder to imagine that God accepts us as a son or as a child. You know, we think we could serve God forever and we'd be fine with that and that would be all rosy. But actually, I want to ask tonight, you know, do we really believe deep down? Are we confident that God loves us as a child? Regardless of what we do or don't do, that God just loves me, his daughter, as I am. And so when I serve and when I do stuff, do I really do that from a place of deep security that he loves me and I'm not doing this stuff to earn his love. He just loves me. Do I have that deep assurance? And if I'm honest, sometimes no. And many of you might be the same. Gotta let it go. The idea that we need to try to show God how much we love him, earn it a little bit more, prove it to him, to be made right with him because of what we do, because that is rubbish. He's done it. I am made righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. I don't need to make my own salvation. I am not my own savior. If I've accepted Jesus, it is done. So stop striving. Let it go. All right, song number two. Have a little patience. Yeah? Everyone know that song? Gosh, is my singing that bad? It's my favorite band, everybody. Come on, of course I was going to throw take that in there. Patience. Okay. Uh, you may know this about me, but I love reality TV. I love reality TV. I know it's a bit trashy, but I can't help it. So I love X Factor, The Voice. I love Come Dine With Me. I love Coach Trip. I love Big Brother. In fact, Big Brother is my favorite. And, you know, I like to think it's because I'm interested in people. It's probably just because I'm nosy. But I like to think it's, I'm fascinated by people. And Big Brother in particular, you know, you get to see all the nitty-gritty gritty things that probably you all think are boring. But I love watching people do their makeup in the mirror and watching the weird faces they pull as they, they pose and they probably don't realize they're doing it. I love watching who talks about who behind their backs. It's fascinating to me. 
And the whole TV uh, genre, if you like, of reality TV and documentaries like that, it's booming, isn't it? Because I think, as people, we are nosy and we like to know everything about people, don't we? We like to know what's going on and feel like we're in on it. And when we don't know things, when we don't know what's going on, we can feel really frustrated by that. We can be angry, you know, why haven't they told me what they're doing? What are they talking about in that room? Or why don't I know about these plans? And we can find that really difficult. But the truth is, sometimes it's good for us not to know everything, isn't it? Sometimes it's good to be ignorant of what's going on in certain situations. I think of those moments in Big Brother where Big Brother sits someone down and shows them footage of what everyone's been saying about them. And it's not fun. Sometimes it's good not to know everything. You know what? God's timing is perfect. God causes things to happen at the right time. And it's not our job to work out when. You know, I think our natural response often to the Lord is, when, God? You know, when? I've been praying about this thing. When, Lord? When will it happen? If only you could just tell me, you know, even like what date that might happen. I'll chill out. I'll rest back and not worry about it until then. Like, when, Lord? But sometimes we will never know. It's not for us to know. Who can know the mind of God? His ways are not our ways. That's what it says in Isaiah 55, 8. His ways are not our ways. And I'm sure many of us identify with that because we're like, yeah, too right, your ways are not my ways. If I was God, I wouldn't be doing it this way. When God? And I imagine that's exactly what Abraham was saying when he was promised this child. And the years went by. And they got older and older, and there was still no child. Lord, when? I'm still waiting. I'm sure some of us can identify with that right now, that we're in a season of waiting for something. We've been praying for a long time, and the truth is it can be really, really painful to wait. You know, waiting for a much longed-for child or waiting for a job waiting for that healing that you've been asking God for over and over again waiting Lord when will I find my life partner Lord when will that person that I've been praying for finally give their life to you Lord when will it even happen at all you know in James chapter 1 it says this about perseverance it says consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you, that you might be mature and complete. Perseverance, plodding on, keeping going, even if it's crawling along on your knees. Perseverance is all about patience. And as I sat and thought about that, patience, patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Patience is something that God wants to develop in us. It's a mark of us as a Christian. You know, when we're a Christian, we have the Spirit living in us. There are certain characteristics of our life that should be obvious, and patience is one of them. But the thing about patience is this. It only develops under pressure, right? It only develops under situations that cause you to have a go at being patient. It's not real patience if we're unaware of it. You know, it's like you've got to feel the burn. You've got to know you're doing it. Oh, okay, I need patience right now. 
And it might be the biting of the tongue. It might be the counting to 10 in your head and the deep breath. It might just be little decisions throughout the day. It might even be, you know, getting out of bed in the morning, persevering, crawling on your knees through the day. But patience is something that God wants to develop in us. You know, when you look at that great passage about love in 1 Corinthians 13, what was the very first thing? It says, love is patient. I saw this kind of bumper sticker type thing this week. It said this, Joseph waited 13 years. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years. So if God keeps you waiting... You're in good company. I thought that was good, but then I thought a bit more. There's more to it than that, isn't there? You know, there's so much other, so many other stories in the Bible that illustrate waiting. Think about all the other barren women who God promised a child to, and they had to wait for that to happen. Think about how God's people had to wait for the Messiah to come. Think about how we are now waiting for Jesus' return. Waiting is a biblical principle. It's part of life, and we don't have to see it as a negative thing. It's an opportunity to develop patience, a godly attribute. And you know, amongst all of that, I'm reminded of how flipping patient God is with me. You know, in my unbelief and in my disobedience and my sin, God is so patient with me. You know, we love because he loved us. We're to be patient because he is also patient with us. Um, Dave and I, we are fans of the Great British Bake Off. Again, reality TV for you there. Anyone else like a bit of the Bake Off? Yeah, it's good. I managed to convince him. He, the first time we sat down to watch it, he was like, what is this? And I've now managed to convince him that watching baking on TV as a competitive sport is actually really entertaining. And he deeply, deeply loves the Bake Off. But anyway, one day we decided that we would bake a cake that we had seen on the Bake Off. We thought it might be quite fun to do that. And so... We were at his house, and I can say this because he's not here, but I promise you that his kitchen is not equipped for this kind of task. So although we had this Mary Berry recipe that we looked up online, we didn't really have what we needed in Dave's kitchen to do it. So for starters, he had no scales. So that's a fairly basic problem when it comes to baking. So there's kind of a lot of, you know, Right, you need 100 grams of this. Well, look, this is 500 grams, so I guess about that much would be about right. Yeah, chuck it in, it'll be fine. Lots of guesswork, lots of guesswork with no scales. He didn't really have the right, um, he didn't have a whisk or a, you know, a beater or anything like that. So it was quite a lot of hard work when it came to instruments. And the cake was meant to be baked in what they call a bunt tin. So that's like a like a ring the cake will look like a ring donut but obviously a cake not a donut and of course well he didn't have one of them either so we did manage to find a cake tin and what we did which we thought was very clever was we emptied a can of baked beans and we used the baked bean tin and kind of put that in the middle to create you know the center and just poured our mixture around the outside to make a ring voila sounds good didn't actually work because the can rose up and popped out of the mixture but anyway we tried anyway all of this combined i know that you're thinking well this is bound to be an absolute disastrous cake i will say this it wasn't horrendous it wasn't great but it wasn't horrendous the main problem wasn't the fact that we didn't have the equipment uh, or anything like that actually the main problem was this 
By the time we'd flipping well finished baking it and it was in the oven, it was getting a bit late. I was like, I want to go home soon. I just, you know, can we just bake this cake and eat it and have a cup of tea and go? And so I kept opening the oven. Is it done? Oh, it's not done. Is it, oh, it's still not done. Oh, come on, come on. And ultimately, I got it out too soon because I was impatient and I, we ate it. And like I said, it wasn't horrendous, but I know that Paul Hollywood would have pulled a little face and said, it's a bit raw on the inside. So the thing is this, I did it all wrong. I should have trusted Mary Berry. It was Mary Berry's recipe. She knew exactly what to do. It's her cake. She knows mess. She knows how long it needs in the oven. She knows it's not ready that soon, Hazel. What were you thinking? Her timing is right. I should have trusted her. And it's the same with God. He is our creator. He knows what's best. We can trust him. His timing is right. Don't be tempted to take things into your own hands like Abraham. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And that's quite hard, isn't it? When our own understanding and logic and experience can tell us otherwise. What? A 90-year-old lady is going to have a baby? <laughs> I don't think so. But nothing is impossible with God. And although they waited and they waited, God's timing was right. You know, what we experience and what we feel can be powerful, but we have to hold God's promise over our experience. God sees the bigger picture, doesn't he? I'm sure you've had times in your life, I know I have, where I've looked back on past disappointments and thought, actually, God did know what he was doing with that. You know, I re really wanted that job, and I was gutted when I didn't get it, and it hurt. But I waited and I waited, and then the job that God did give me, that was totally the right one. That one would never have been right in the first place, but this one, that was right. God's timing is right. And God can use our waiting he can work in our waiting. So Paul says, you know what? You, like Isaac, you are children of promise. Isaac was a child of promise. He'd been promised. And God is a God who keeps his promises and his timing is right. So why I've put patience under songs of freedom is this. Because freedom comes when we truly understand and believe and trust that God's timing is right. If we truly believe that, we can let go, let it go, let go of the worries that we carry around about when, Lord, when. The stuff that weighs us down, we give it to him and say, God, I don't know when, but I trust you because your timing is right. And there's freedom in that. We can't predict God. We don't always know. We will never understand entirely how he works, but we do know this. He is good he is faithful, he hears us, and he keeps his promises. So as we develop patience with God, we develop trust, and with trust comes freedom. So let it go, have a little patience, and our third one, which I'm not going to sing, we are family, and I have to say it like that just so that you get the song in your head, we are family. Has anyone ever tried to research their family tree? Yeah, it's quite a big undertaking, so I believe. 
my uncle, one of my uncles, uh, decided once that he would research the Ryan family name. And so my family, uh, originally based in Liverpool, but before that even, they came over from Ireland. And uh, in Ireland, Ryan is the eighth most common surname. So he went off to Ireland on this little jaunt. He went to some kind of, I don't know, convention or event or something. And he was describing how it was just the most bizarre thing because you know, you rock up to the hotel and you're like, oh, yeah, hi, I've got a booking for the name Ryan. And the guy at the desk's like, well, have you got a booking reference? Because our hotel is just full of everybody called Ryan. You know, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, here's my booking reference. And, you know, he said you're socializing, having a drink in the bar, and you just realize that there's like 100 John Ryans in the room and 200 Paul Ryans and 300 David Ryans. Everybody in the room is a Ryan. And they're all so proud of their name. They're so proud to be a Ryan. You know, the Jewish people were proud of their family line. They were proud to be descendants of Abraham, the people of God, the chosen people. That was a big deal to them. But Paul hits them between the eyes with this analogy of the two sons. He says, you know what? You might be proud of your heritage. You might be proud of being related to Abraham. But you know what? There's two ways you can be related to Abraham. You can be Ishmael, the son that represents law and slavery and disobedience. Or you can be Isaac, the child that represents promise and God's goodness and God's grace. And he says, you know what, for those of you that are bound by law and rule keeping, you are more like Ishmael. And what does it say about Ishmael? It says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. The slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. In other words, for those of us who live bound by the law, bound by rules, thinking that that's what saves us, thinking that's what makes us right with God, actually, we are missing out on our inheritance. We are missing out on what God has for us. Because when we become a Christian... When we accept Jesus as our saviour, we are adopted into his family. It doesn't matter whether or not technically we're from Abraham's line. Scripture says that we are adopted into his family. And Taryn spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. You are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. Adopted. Uh, If you go on Google, which probably most of us do most days, and type in rich kids inheritance or billionaires inheritance, stuff like that, it's very interesting. I thought, I wonder what it looks like to be the child of someone who is very rich. And I came across one, uh, one billionaire in the States who said, you know what? It's not good to spoil your kids, is it? It's not good to give them too much of your money because you, know, you don't want them to be yeah, spoiled, to be brats. He said, so I'm making sure that my children get $10 million or less each. You're like, what? Okay, yeah, you don't want to spoil them. Just give them $10 million. Do you know, if I was at school and I knew that on my 18th birthday I was going to suddenly inherit £10 million, I think that would affect me. For one thing, I'd probably do no work because I'd be like, you know what, I'm not going to need a job at the end of this. I'm, my, uh, my future is secure. I'm going to be all right. But I'd probably be talking about it. I'd be thinking, I'd be planning. It would affect me deeply. And yet in Jesus, I have so much more of an inheritance. And if I really believe that, surely that would affect the way I live. Surely that should affect my thankfulness what I talk about, 
God has made me an heir. You know, um, I'm getting married this year. Yeah, that's really exciting. But, but part of that, you know, my parents, since I was a little girl, they've been putting money aside um, for the day. For all of the kids, they've done this, not just me. Money aside for the day when the wedding might come and you need to spend some money. So that's very kind. And, you, you know, I kind of think, well, you know, seeing as I'm a bit older, like there should be a lot of money in that pot, really. My brother spent his lot when he was 24, whereas, you know, I'm a bit older, so there should be more in there, right? It doesn't really work like that. And I went home a few years ago, and I found there was this lovely new addition to our family. His name was Conservatory. And Conservatory had a friend, Guttering. And it turned out that Conservatory and Guttering were bought with my wedding fund. My wedding fund. That's right, people, I'll say it again. My wedding fund. Because at the time, my parents were like, it doesn't look like she's going to need that anytime soon, and we need to do some stuff to the house. I promise you. I know it sounds like a storyline from friends. It is absolutely true. They spent my wedding fund on the house. So my inheritance was gone. God doesn't do that. God does not do that with your inheritance. 1 Peter 1 verse 4 says this, and we have an inheritance that will never perish, never spoil, never fade. This inheritance is in heaven for you. It will never perish, it will never spoil, it will never fade, it will never be spent on someone else at your expense. It will always be there for you. It will never run out. It will never become a dead currency. God won't change his mind about whether he wants to give that to you or not. It is done. It is a certainty. Everything that belongs to God belongs to me. I get it. It's mine. And I get to share it with my Heavenly Father as well. You know, I'm not receiving something because he's He has died. It's not that kind of inheritance, but I get to share it with him in heaven. And so, songs of freedom, why is this about our freedom? Because I am free to enjoy life to the full with God. I am free to enjoy and serve him, all that he has put before me, because my future is secure my inheritance is secure. I'm not working to ensure that I have something at the end of my life because it's done. It's there. It's a done deal and it's waiting for me, my inheritance. And that brings me freedom. Why don't we stand?